Welcome to Agent to Agent Remarks. Really just wanted to start a conversation. The podcast dedicated to real estate ethics and best practices. Here to talk to you about the market. Hosted by broker Jeffrey LaBelle of The Brokerage, a real estate firm. We have some great interviews on this podcast. Hear expert guests related to the real estate industry discuss actionable advice, tips, and tricks. Now, here's Jeffrey LaBelle. Well, hello, everybody. Jeff Lavelle here, broker of The Brokerage, a real estate firm. Uh, thank you for uh, having me in your home or wherever it is that you are right now. Uh, so w- want to get right into it and talk to you today about the Realtor Code of Ethics again. I know we talked about this in a previous podcast episode, but we're going to d- dive a little deeper. Uh, I know there's a lot of misconceptions and a lot of uh, misunderstanding about what the Realtor uh, code of ethics is more specifically what the grievance committee process is and what happens when you file a complaint against a realtor member. So, uh, so, so the grievance committee is a uh, appointed position in our board uh, and across the United States in local boards and associations that are big enough to have a grievance committee. Um, but they are a group of realtors that are are charged with listening to, evaluating, and determining whether a case brought to the Board of Realtors should be passed forward to the Professional Standards Committee. So think of it this way. You've got a, uh, so the the Grievance Committee, think of us as a grand jury. And then the Professional Standards uh, Hearing Tribunal is just that. It's a hearing tribunal that is um, made up of members that have already been on Grievance Committee for at least uh, a few years. I think it's three years, uh, two or three years. And then have moved up into the Professional Standards Arena. So both parties play a a very important part of the uh, grievance committee process, the professional standards process. Uh, The the first group is the grievance committee group. So so let's just use an example that we see a lot, uh, most often, public versus realtor. So you have a buyer or a seller, somebody, maybe a tenant uh, prospect or a tenant, uh, that has filed a complaint against a realtor saying that that person has uh, done something that they believe falls into the code of ethics jurisdiction. Now, the code of ethics uh, for the Board of Realtors is set out by the National Association. They are the ones that create the code of ethics. They are the ones that update the code of ethics. They are the ones that decide uh, whether it needs to be adjusted or articles updated and added uh, so that we know uh, uniformly across the United States that these principles are being applied to all members. 17 articles in three categories. You have duties to clients and customers, you have duties to uh, the public, and then of course you have duties to other realtors. So let's just say a member of the public has an experience with a realtor member. And now, now let me back up just a little bit. Uh, the, the Realtor Code of Ethics is the framework, we'll say, for many of real estate's laws across the United States. This has been around for a very, very long time. We'll just venture to say 100 years. Um, So it's been around for forever. And the reason it exists is because back in the days of yore, when real estate was being hawked on street corners, uh, there were some people with, I don't know, we'll say bad intentions looking to take advantage of people who were not savvy. And keep in mind, you know, back in the day, 100 plus years ago, uh, we had a different education system. We had no internet. We had no phones. We had no television um, uh, the way that we do today. And and so 
the average person was not able to just get online and find out what was going on. So a lot of people taking advantage in situations that uh, they would maybe be less inclined to be able to do so today. And a group took took uh, that lead and built, uh, developed this code of ethics in its earliest forms to basically lay out a group of duties that real estate agents would have to the public. Um, so there's a preamble to it. You know, the preamble is not actually part of the code of ethics. It's basically just a uh, an aspirational goal. It starts out with under all is the land. So essentially everything in this world is built on land. And that is where we take our initial leap into the code of ethics. So uh, we'll we'll go back to where I was before I wanted to cover the preamble. So which that's to say that we have a, uh, a member of the public who had a bad experience. So let's say this is a, a buyer. They uh, bought a home from or with their buyer's agent in Nevada. We have a buyer's agency. Not every state. We don't have buyer's agency in every state. The buyer's agency uh, gives that realtor a duty in Nevada to that buyer. They represent the buyer and only the buyer. The listing agent represents the seller and only the seller. And the buyer determined that at some point in the transaction, they simply were unhappy with something that that realtor did. Unhappy is not enough to be a code of ethics violation. We see this in many cases. Uh, somebody had a bad experience. They feel that the customer service was lacking. We've had complaints where a realtor used foul language or unprofessional language. That is not the code of ethics. That's not what that covers. Um, so if you just didn't like your realtor, unfortunately, we can't obligate someone to good customer service. Um, so we cannot say, oh, yes, you've violated the customer service article uh, and you are therefore guilty and you are naughty. We can't do that. Uh, but let's just say that the, the, the eight, let me think of something that we've done recently. What have we... Um, so we had one a few, this was a couple years ago. And the, I want to clean it up so it's not too specific. The buyer was upset with the listing agent. The buyer alleged that the listing agent knew that the home had been damaged by a natural disaster, we'll say. And the buyer was upset that the listing agent didn't do the proper disclosure to the buyer. Now, my recollection was this was something that was damaged but repaired and the seller's disclosure form in our state does not require you to list anything and everything that's ever happened to the home. It lists, is there anything currently wrong? For example, the roof. We'll say it was the roof that was wrong. Are there any problems with the roof? It doesn't say, say, have there ever in the history of the home been problems with the roof, but are there any problems with the roof? And at the time, there were no problems. And if I recall correctly, there was an upset about the uh, buyer. I think this was a cash purchase. The buyer did not get a comprehensive loss under, uh, underwriting evaluation known as a clue report. 
not a common thing for a buyer to uh, get in a cash transaction. It's not typical. It's not customary. But they didn't get one. They could. They could have looked up. And this is essentially like Carfax for insurance. If you're not familiar with the Clue Report, uh, I believe it's through LexisNexis. And you can get this report, which will tell you whether that home has had uh, a history of anything in insurance claims. And there is no uh, disclosure on the seller's disclosure form about disclosure of insurance claims. Maybe we need to add that. Who knows? So anyway, the buyer buys the home. And then I believe after buying the home, he goes to insure it. He didn't get his insurance during the escrow, which would be typical, at least my recommendation would you close escrow and the house could burn down 10 minutes later. Uh, there goes all your money. So he didn't have it insured during the escrow, didn't get the binder from the insurance agent, didn't do a clue report. And then when he goes to get insured, finds out that he's going to have a very high insurance premium because the home had had a fire. Well, the buyer was upset that the, and I don't remember this is men and women, who, who represents whom. So this is just a general. The buyer was upset that the uh, listing agent didn't disclose this, which there really was no evidence that the listing agent even knew about it. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. We didn't know. But the point was the seller uh, was the person who would have been obligated to disclose it. The buyer's, the seller's agent, unless they had been disclosed, unless there was a question asked of them, wouldn't have been required in our state to, to proffer this. So it was just, hey, he was upset. There were a few other things to it, but uh, when that came to us, I believe it was an Article 1 uh, violation. It basically says when representing a buyer and seller, an agent has to uh, pledge to protect themselves and promote the best interest of the client. Um, but that client, even though they're the primary duty, it doesn't alleviate you from having to treat other parties in the transaction fairly. That mirrors our Nevada duties owed almost verbatim. So you could be in violation of the statute. You could also be in violation of the code of ethics. So uh, we heard the, we heard the case in grievance and we decided that the listing agent there was no reason to believe the listing agent knew about this and kept this from the person. Um, this would have been a seller problem. The seller would have disclosed this, that the agent never, uh, per the buyer, there was no question about this. It wasn't something they asked and been told a lie about. So we ended up dismissing that because again, even though they're required to treat all parties fairly, they don't have a duty to this buyer. So um, that's a, an example of, of something that would come to grievance. But you get a person who's upset. They want to air the grievance. And this committee that we're part of, that I've been a part of for, for going on three years now, is charged with hearing the case, determining if it was an incident that happened in the last 180 days, because you have 180 days from the day of the incident or when you are reasonably aware of the incident. So, you know, you could close escrow and then find out three months later that this person committed a, a violation of the ethics and then you have 180 days from that point to file that, that grievance. So uh, when a person is aggrieved, they file a form with the board. That form outlines what they allege 
but we aren't researchers. So not only do you have to file your grievance, cite the article you believe the agent violated, and it's a one-for-one. One. Basically, if they did one thing, lied on, lied on a disclosure, I don't know, we'll just say lied on a disclosure, then you have one article. If they lied on a disclosure, hid something from you, um, and didn't tell you what the commission was that, that they were charging you, that would be three articles because there were three acts. But you can't have one act with three articles. It's too much. One of those articles is the most appropriate, and that's the one you want to use. So you file your case, you allege your article, and you provide as much supporting documentation as you can. Usually a great thing to give us more information than not enough, but we have to assume, as the grievance committee, that what this person is alleging is true. We are not saying we believe them, but for the purposes of deciding whether something should move forward to the grievance or the professional standards group, we have to look at that person's allegation as true. So if what they're saying to us is true, if Bob is the son of a gun and Bob did all this naughty stuff, are these naughty things that Bob did a violation of the law or of the code of ethics? <laughs> not the law. I am not an attorney much to my mother's dismay. Uh, did Bob's bad act violate a code of ethics or is it a customer service thing? So you file your complaint, you cite the problem that you believe that the article you believe the agent violated, and then you submit your supporting documentation. And that can be photographs, it can be statements, it could be contracts. Uh, for realtors, a lot of times it involves the listing uh, documentation or the multiple listing service documentation to kind of paint that picture for us. We, we don't make the decision on grievance. We just decide, does it meet 180 days? Um, what are the articles alleged? And do we believe that if those allegations are true, that it is a violation of our code of ethics? If we believe all those things to be true, it does meet that uh, 180 days and uh, the violation violates the code of ethics we forward it to the Professional Standards Committee. And at least in our association, what I like is that we get to read all the cases. So we don't just get assigned a case and decide within our, amongst our group whether it's approved or not. We sit down before our committee meets each month. A small subcommittee is formed by our staff, who is wonderful, uh, at the Board of Realtors. Our staff sends out uh, a copy of all of these complaint documents via our online portal that we are only the people that are privileged to, enough to, to review. And it's really an honor and a privilege to be able to review these things. Our little subcommittee of the greater group of uh, grievance committee members will meet usually via Zoom, maybe over the phone, and discuss after having reviewed the case whether they think the case meets those points that I mentioned before, 180 days, articles, alleged, etc. So they decide amongst themselves. If Bob's a son of a gun, did Bob violate article one, two, three, which, which one was it? All the way to, to really like 16 on the ethics. 17 is arbitration. So one through 16, did Bob violate the code of ethics? 
And then if Bob did violate the code of ethics, is the article that the person alleged, because again, we're, we're dealing a lot of times with members of the public and no offense, but members of the public don't often deal with uh, realtors on a regular basis, right? Some people, it's the first home they bought. It's the last home they bought. They might've bought 10 homes in their life. They may not have bought a home before. And so we're, you know, we're getting people who may not be savvy to the lingo, to the customs and practices. And so we need to be there to give that person uh, the very best um, due process we can afford them. And it, this is the same to be true for the realtor. Both parties deserve due process, um, which is, is a really important part of this. So when the subcommittees met, they will determine, did Bob's alleged violations meet the article that the the member of the public or realtor alleged Bob to have violated. They say, oh, Bob violated Article 1. And you look at it and you say, well, gosh, you know, the person alleges that Bob lost their earnest money because Bob failed to keep the buyer's earnest money contingent or the contingencies in place that allowed Bob uh, Bob's client to get their earnest money back, right? This is something we've seen before. Person comes in and says, I think Bob's the son of a gun. Uh, I think he violated article one. Um, I lost my earnest money because Bob didn't extend the term of my financing contingency. And so we look at that and we say, okay, well, yeah. Did Bob treat this person fairly? Probably. I mean, no. Bob didn't treat them fairly because they he didn't do his job, but allegedly, <laughs> but um, more appropriately, Bob failed to keep documentation updated. He failed to follow Article 9. So Article 9 says, Realtors for the protection of all parties shall ensure whenever possible that the agreements related to the real estate transactions, including but not limited to listing and representation agreements, purchase contracts and leases are in writing and are in clear, understandable language expressing the specific terms, conditions, obligations, and commitments of the parties. A copy of each agreement shall be furnished to each party such uh, to each party such agreements upon their signing and initialing. So we would say on grievance, we're going to remove Article Nine, Article One, and we're going to add Article Nine because Bob did one thing naughty, right? Now, if they say Bob uh, didn't fill out the, and no offense to the Bobs out there, um, I'm going to pick on you, Bob violated article nine because it's just this one thing. But if they said, oh, he violated article nine and then, um, you know, he, he didn't deposit my earnest money correctly. Um, and you know, he didn't tell me that he was actually the owner, um, of the property. And so, well, now we've got a couple things, right? Bob is in violation of article nine because he didn't keep the, the documents together. Article four, uh, because he didn't disclose his interest in the property. And I believe he would also be in violation of there's another one in here with trust accounting. We don't, in most cases in Nevada, uh, yeah, so Article 8, um, special accounts, separated funds, monies, escrows, things like that. So he could be, if he'd done three things wrong, 9, uh, 8, and Four. So then we would amend the complainant's complaint to include the appropriate articles. Um, and then we would vote in our bigger group, which meets once a month. So we come back to our committee 
we have a list of cases and we, you know, we, we have between, I would say three and six, yeah, probably three and six cases a month. Um, they're 18,000 realtors. So relax. <laughs> We've got a lot of realtors here in Clark County, but we will hear, uh, between three and six cases a month. Um, and you know, you need to keep in mind that this is not something that the realtor is even aware of. The person who's being complained against the, the respondent doesn't even know that they have a complaint against them because if it doesn't meet muster, if it does pass muster, if it doesn't meet our, uh, our standard, it's dismissed. The, the complaining party is notified it's dismissed and they can refile. But the realtor doesn't know that that was even done unless somebody, um, related to the case tells them it was done, meaning the complainant themselves, because not anybody on the committee would talk to the complaint, uh, respondent or the complainant. So we have met privately as a small group. We've discussed it, gone back and forth, politely, respectfully debated our positions on the case. If it's complex, which we do get some that are quite complex. And then we meet and present this case to the greater group of the committee. And it, it, it's incumbent upon the group and the committee to have also read the case because the purpose of us all coming together in such a large group uh, is to determine as a group of many whether this does or doesn't pass uh, forward. And I love, 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 love the debate aspect of this group because um, I have seen some really, really wonderful debates. One of my dear friend, dear friends, Marissa Kagan and I get into it uh, respectfully, of course. Uh, she and I are, um, I think, pretty well aligned on values. We did, we believe wholeheartedly in due process. Um, she may be a little, a little more of a um, idealist than I am. <laughs> I try to do my best to balance ideology and uh, realism. But uh, she is great and we get into some great debates. But we also, of course, when we debate, keep our members uh, on the committee uh, in our meetings longer than normal. But in any event, uh, we I've had some great debates. Another one who I seem to debate a lot with, uh, Susan Brock, uh, another uh, person on the group. Uh, uh, Shannon and I get into it, not into it, but we debate sometimes sometimes. Uh, Stephanie, there, there's a lot of different people uh, in the in the committee that um, that I debate with. Harvey, I love to debate with Harvey. I think he's great. So there's some really smart people, and if I'm missing some, I'm I'm, miss, I'm missing a lot of people, but um, not because they aren't great, but just because I, I'm thinking of people who stand out uh, that I I go back and forth with a lot. the The point of this whole thing is to be deliberative. The whole point of having a group of uh, I would say there's probably 40 of us. The whole point of it is to provide a platform where we can have open and honest discussion because the realtor member, whether it's the complainant or respondent or both, the complainant deserves to have this alleged violation of the code of ethics addressed. And the person who's being accused has the right to be accused only when it's appropriate. And so there are many cases that will come to us and be not because we want to protect the realtor and to be clear, very, very clear. Um, many times the realtors in the room are even more passionate about what happened than the person who's complaining. 
Um, they very much want to see, um, you know, justice in this case, and and they want to see this agent brought to. I, what do I want to say? They want to see this agent brought in to explain themselves, explain the allegation, because there's two sides, three sides to every story, right? We say there's your side, my side, and the truth. They want to see this issue brought out to brought to light and aired out. Both parties deserve it. And uh, but I will say, you know, because there there has been when you're when you have a self policing situation, you know, police officers, for example, have an internal affairs bureau, right? And and sometimes people feel that, well, gosh, you know, they're cops. They want to protect themselves. They want to protect their own. Um, same thing with realtors. Oh, you know, I'm going to complain to the realtors and they're just going to circle the wagons. And let me tell you what, there's no circling of wagons. Um, and I, and I, we've had to remind members, uh, myself included, that uh, just because this has been alleged doesn't mean it's true. But if we believe it's true, yes, it's egregious. And we need to let the next committee look at it, take the case on, hear the case, and move the case forward. So there's a lot that goes on just to get this one complaint um, to the point of being heard by the grievance group. And once we've heard the case and voted it up or down, and also, so so the subcommittee had their vote and uh, recommendation of maybe adding or subtracting articles. Sometimes you just say, oh gosh, you know, this person, they piled on articles one through 16. So you have to sort through their complaint to find, you know, cause they'll go into, you know, well, it was a Tuesday and it was raining outside. And, you know, when it rains, I've got this, uh, this wrist thing and my wrist hurts. And so my wrist was hurting. And then I remembered, you're like, I don't need all that. <laughs> I swear we will get 55 page complaints. And you're like, where when are you going to get to the part where you tell me what the hell this realtor did wrong? So once you've sorted through all that and and trimmed all the minutiae and the riffraff and stuff out of the, the complaint, you get down to what the core of the problem is. Um, the bigger group, the whole committee will vote. And they're, you know, you can say, hey, our motion is to move this forward on articles one and two. And then uh, we have debate and you may end up taking one and two out and adding nine. Uh, you may leave one and two and then realize that there's an article 11 violation, um, which is to, to uh, practice within the scope of your ability. Um, so there's all sorts of things that can happen in that larger group. And then there's a vote as to whether it goes forward or not. And it's not always unanimous. We normally, once we've had a really respectful debate and deliberation, a lot of times I, I'm pleased to say it is unanimous. I think the group has gotten on board and says, yes, this should move forward. And sometimes there are complaints that uh, um, there are two camps, you know, camp A thinks move forward, camp B says dismiss. Um, and, and we, <laughs> I think it was Bobby Stardust, uh, uh, one of who was the chair one year. Um, and uh, we had a, we had a really robust, really, really healthy debate um, it, I mean, this one case probably lasted 15 minutes, 20 minutes and we were so divided and I'll never forget. We had the vote and we all in favor say aye, and there were eyes all opposed nay. And there were nays. And I think Bobby said the nays have it. And I was in the eyes and I said, Madam chairman, Madam chairwoman, I said, I, uh, point of order would like to hear, uh, or would like to see a hand vote. 
And so she <laughs> shot me a look uh, because, you know, again, we had we had many cases that day, but we I wanted to see that case uh, through. And I I want to say it was the nays that took it, but it was close. It was very, very close. Um, and so we did. We had to hand count the room um, to make sure that there were the same number that we had the, the nays uh, taking it that day. But, you know, again, it's it's all about making sure not that I'm right, uh, although that who doesn't love a little of that? Uh, not that I'm right, but that the uh, process is correct. And it was and it was it was good. So, um, you know, so you got a, You have a case. It's been sustained, right? We've moved it forward in whatever manner, whether it's adding articles or, or taking articles out or whatever the case may be. And then our staff, our wonderful, wonderful, wonderful pro standard staff takes that complaint and they notice the agent who was alleged to have violated the code of ethics. The respondent gets a notification that they are being called to the professional standards tribunal and that they are going to have a case heard and they're, they're given what that case is. Here is what's alleged against you. And they see the re, the uh, complainant's documents. Um, and then they, at that point, and this is another reason, reason why this is so important. I have an itch on my back. Oh, goodness. Okay, there we go. Another reason why this is so important is when you have a complaint like this, in some cases, this complaint may also involve uh, Nevada Real Estate Division. And, and so in our state, if you're not aware, every realtor is a licensee. But not every licensee is a realtor, meaning you may be licensed to sell real estate in Nevada, but you don't have to be a realtor to do it. But if you are a realtor, you have to be a Nevada licensee. So if you get a complaint at the Board of Realtors, and we just talked about um, treat all parties fairly being not only a violation of Article 1, but a violation of the duties owed in Nevada, which the Nevada licensees duties to their client. So you could very easily find yourself in front of the Nevada Real Estate Division as well as the Grievance Committee professional standards committee. So um, my point in saying that is you have agents that get these complaints. They may very well have to hire an attorney. You know, these, these complaints can, can be very serious. I mean, there can be money accusations. There can be uh, criminal accusations, not just, I don't mean like he beat me up. That's not in our code of ethics, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> simple assault. Um, you know, we don't, you know, we don't hear those cases, but um we hear the ethical complaint. So it could be the forged a document. Well, that's a, that's a complaint that would cover both, right? It's criminal. You can't forge documents, but it's also um, uh, something covered by uh, our code of ethics in the state. So anyway, they get the charging, do- the, the, the complaint documents, the complainant reviews the complaint documents and they provide a response. Um, they have an opportunity to provide their uh, rebuttal of sorts because um, the parties are, are going to go into a quasi-judicial hearing. And I say quasi-judicial because there's no judicial officers, no attorneys um, uh, hearing the case, although we have an attorney that sits in on the case to make sure that the due process portion is covered. Um, but, you know, it's decided by this tribunal, usually of five people. So uh, I'm going to grab a sip of beverage. It's not sponsored by my friends at Coke Zero, but... But if Coke Zero, given the broad reach of this incredible program I run, wants to send me a case of Coke Zero, I mean, I don't look like a gift horse in the mail. 
little ASMR. So uh, the the respondent gets the documents. They find out that they've got a complaint against them. I I haven't had one against me, so I can only imagine getting one is a very awful feeling. I have made complaints, but I've not received one yet. It's still early in my career. So then there is this process. We get everybody on calendar, make sure that we can get a time and a date that works for the complainant and the respondent. The, the Both parties can um, uh, designate counsel. In uh, this process, you're also allowed to have realtor counsel. So a realtor broker can represent the uh, – I believe you can represent both parties – I think both agents have the right to have realtor uh, counsel designated. Uh, and so, yeah, they both get that. Or you can hire an attorney. And like I said, when you get cases that are, are super duper serious where there's, you know, complaint you know, allegations of other things, that's often the case that they do hire uh, an attorney. But uh, a case is, is scheduled a hearing date is scheduled. The panel is chosen. You have the right to, because we all work together, right? This is, we may have 18,000 realtors, but the reality is 85% of the work is done by probably 10% of the realtors out there. So it's a small circle. We know each other. We, a lot of us hang out. I mean, I don't mean hang out. We don't, I mean, I don't hang out with anybody outside my office, really a couple people, but, um, we go to events and stuff. We're on committees. I like to try to smooth things over. If I had a, if I had another broker that called me up and said, Jeff, you got an agent that's doing dirty in your office, you best believe that agent's going to get called in the office. We're going to sit down. We're going to hear their side of the story. We're going to find out. We're going to look at the paperwork. Um, we're going to go through this because this is how you avoid a grievance complaint. Um, and then we're going to address it accordingly. I'll go into it in a minute uh, what, what happens when that happens. But so the realtors uh, on this professional standards hearing, I know a lot of them. Hell, I know most of them. And so I have to decide, is there anybody on that panel that I believe would be um, either – and I have to decide whether they would be a benefit to me or a detriment. But whether they're a very, very good friend or somebody who I just can't stand and the feeling's mutual, I really am supposed to challenge – both of those people, because I can't have my best friend up there hearing my case, nor should they. And I can't have my worst enemy on that hearing my case, nor should they. And they, sh they too should recuse themselves. If there was a realtor on there that I didn't know that thought I was just the worst thing ever, <laughs> which I am, <laughs> uh, then they should also recuse, right? So the point is to give as fair a hearing as possible to the parties. So you go through your recusals, you go through your challenges, as my mother would say, the voir dire. Um, so you go through your challenging of this tribunal and who you don't think should be assigned to it. You get a tribunal assigned, you have a date, and then comes the day. And it is a daunting little experience. It's, now it's, uh, I, I have only been in grievance cases, professional standards cases, post-COVID. I have not been in them prior to this. And I believe prior to COVID, they were in person. And I, I personally, I think that's great. I think you should be in person. I think it's better when you have, um, uh, you know, in the last case I was in, I was referencing statute and the lawyer representing the other party didn't know the statute. 
And so then I had to email it and then they had to look it up. So instead, usually I would just have copies for the tribunal and I would have copies for um, opposing the opposing counsel or the, the opposing realtor uh, uh, advocate. So anyway, the point is um, it's kind of a daunting thing. Here you are sitting on a Zoom call with five people who you probably know and respect looking at you as somebody who's been accused of something. And then you have to sit there, hear the accusations as the uh, complainant and then respond to them. I'm sorry, as the uh, uh, respondent and then respond to them with why what they say isn't true about you. And, you know, I mean, without your reputation, I don't know what the hell else there is. I mean, you know, if an agent can't trust that you're going to do the right thing in a transaction, if agent can't trust that you're going to do the right thing, period, you're not going to be, you're not going to do real well. You you know, you, you, you may, you may have a, you may have a successful business in spite of yourself, but I don't know. I I would prefer to have respect and success (laughs) because you can have both. Uh, I don't think this is mutually exclusive, Um, but you're sitting there looking at five people who you probably know, and they're looking at you going, and then you're here in the case and it's preponderance of the evidence. You know, it's clear and convincing is really what they're looking at. Clear and convincing evidence, not preponderance, clear and convincing evidence that what is alleged happen. And it's not, you know, this isn't like beyond a reasonable doubt or anything that, that, that level of, of um, proof, but it's really daunting to sit there and say, Hey, all these things that I allege are true and here's why. So personally, I hate this whole idea of being accused of something, but And I don't like filing cases against people, but we have to police ourselves because if we don't police ourselves, we are quietly endorsing the behavior. And you may say, well, Jeff, I have to, I have to work with these people and I have to this and I, okay, great. Yeah, I get that. I'm not, I'm not immune to that. I get it. But if we aren't if we aren't willing to show people that enough is enough, if we aren't willing to call people to the mat and say, look, your behavior is unacceptable. You're not going to behave this way. We, we give up any credibility we have as an organization. So I find it really important uh, that agents file complaints. And um, I, you know, I, I, I just feel that, and I've had people call, I, I get it all the time. They'll call me up and say, is this a grievance complaint? Is this an ethics complaint? And, you know, I, I, I try to guide people. I don't try to tell them, yes, no, it is. And I, I give them the code of ethics. I tell them where to look. Um, I'm not, I can't really sit there and walk them through how to write, write up a complaint. I can tell them how, here's where you go. Here's what you sign in. Here's what you do. Make sure you provide lost documentation. But as a grievance member, if somebody calls me and asks me something, I got to recuse myself when that case comes up. So I try not to get any, uh, familiar with any of this stuff because I want to be able to give my two cents in the here in the, the grievance case review, as opposed to having somebody and coaching them. And we have an ombudsman for that. So I get the calls all the time though. Is this, is this a violation of code of ethics? Could be, I don't know. Talk to your broker. It's the best answer I can give you. So, uh, once the grievance committee has, or the professional standards committee has heard the case, they've gone through it. They've, uh, uh, heard both sides. There's a 
deliberation that takes place outside the, the view of the uh, complainant and respondent, and they decide whether what has been brought to them that day meets that clear and convincing uh, standard, that threshold. And if it is clear and convincing, then they can hand down punishment. Punishment can range from fines to removal of an agent's uh, realtor status. It's obviously the... Uh, the worst thing that you can get in our industry is having your realtor status revoked. You know, you, you were drummed out of the core, so to speak, and you're not allowed to practice as a realtor for a period. It's usually not forever, but it's usually for a period um, because we have to be reasonable in our um, uh, handing down of, of, of punishment. Now, if the Board of Realtors took away somebody's membership chances are the state is also going to do something and because it would have to be pretty egregious. Um, and if the state does it, then that's up to them. If they don't want to give you a license for four years, then you can't be a realtor for four years, even if our penalty was only two. Um, so, you know, you have to, to weigh that. But once that's done, that's it. And there is no publishing. We don't publish these findings or or the the uh, the outcome, which is a little, a little, you know, disappointing as a <laughs> grievance member because we hear the case. You know, we we vet the case as to whether or not it should go forward, and then we never hear about it again because our friends on professional standards don't talk about it. It's like Fight Club, just don't talk about it. So we don't uh, we don't get to know if it went forward. We don't get to know if they've knocked it down. And so there's almost this like constant need to scratch the itch, but you can't because you never get to know what happened. So that that's the one thing I'd like to at the like the end of the year, everybody gets together and like, all right, here's what happened. Remember all these cases, uh, but we don't get to hear about it. So anyway, go uh, just to kind of go back. Um, I have had brokers call me. Um, I've been a broker for six years. I've been in real estate for 18. So six of the 18 years I've been a broker in charge of licensees. And I've had a couple of cases, instances, I'll say, where another realtor has called me up. One instance was a realtor member, non, non-broker, realtor member called me up and had a concern about one of my agents. Um, she was a very, very new agent in my office. Um, just kind of walked in one day and said she wanted to work with us. And, you know, I guess I'll say in hindsight, not the smartest thing, but she seemed very nice, hired her uh, within, I don't know, 10 days of hiring her, got a complaint from the real estate division that I was being notified as her current broker, that she received a complaint with her past broker, even though I had asked, do you have any open complaints to the division? Well, the reality is she didn't know at that point she hadn't been served with a complaint. Uh, so she got a complaint right away. Of course, first thing I did was call. What's going on with this? She seemed to have a reasonable explanation for it. Complaints can be filed by anybody. And then a realtor called and said that she wasn't depositing earnest money in a transaction where she represented her son. And I said, well, that's strange. Called her up. She basically corroborated what was being said. And even though the earnest money was supposed to be deposited, even though there's a, I said, you got to go. It's just that simple. I don't want agents in my office that don't follow the rules. I'm not here to lose my license because somebody can't do what they're supposed to do. And I think more realtor members, more brokers need to be heavy handed. 
we need to say, look, I don't care how many people I have in my office, the fewer, the better, meaning quality over quantity. We don't need to have agents in our ranks, in our companies, in our firms that are not willing to uphold the best standards that we can. Um, I know that there's a monetary cost to being in real estate. I know that there is a benefit to having more numbers of agents. It means more deals to be had potentially. It also means more opportunities for someone to ruin your day by ruining uh, your license. You know, in Nevada, we're required to have supervision of our agents, required to know what they're doing. I think sometimes that's a little impractical because the way that, you know, when the statute was written quite a long time ago, we didn't have the covert ways that agents can transact today. They don't have to come to the office to get paperwork. The paperwork's on their computer. Um, they email it out of their own email. They have the conversation on their own phone. It's not like they come to the office and sit at a desk and use the fax machine or <laughs> drive it to the other agent's office. I mean, they are their own, they, you know, everybody has uh, the opportunity to run their business basically at home. And so it is hard as a broker to supervise. But when you're made aware of problems, you need to, tr to handle them decisively. Um, and we have to be more demanding of high standards from our realtors. Our brokers need to be high, uh, held to high standards. And we need to know that the public primarily, first and foremost, is protected from bad actors. It's just that simple. Um, I, I think that there are always going to be people who are looking to work the system, who are willing to, or work, looking to uh, game things the way that they can to put them in their best interest. And when that harms the public, we need to be done with those people. I'm not, not one to say that, hey, you know, one strike, you're out. I think that's unfair. In my company, it depends on what the strike was. But we have to make sure that we're educating our agents. We have to make sure that we're supervising our agents. We have to make sure that we are um, requiring of them the, the best standards that we can impart. And that as a broker means improving our own education. Um, you know, I know when I started out in real estate, uh, my broker, Kathy Hornis, was just so smart. So, so smart. And she led me down the path of really wanting to understand what it was to be a realtor. I come from a very ethical family. My mom's very ethical. My family's very ethical. But I didn't realize there was as much involved in being a realtor when I first, you know, well, this hand, raised my right hand. We literally go and raise our right hand and we swear to uphold the U.S. Constitution and the uh, Code of Ethics, if you can imagine that. We, laws of our state, Constitution, uh, fair housing, it's a big, big part of what we do. It's a huge part of the Code of Ethics. In fact, um, Code of Ethics, that, that's the duty to the public. Um, we uh, shall not deny, this is Article 10. Realtors shall not deny equal professional services to any person for any reason of race, color, religion, sex, handicap, familial status, national origin, sexual orientation, or gender identity. And in Nevada, Native American ancestry. Um, realtors shall not be parties to any plan or agreement to discriminate against a person or persons on the basis of race, religion, the same things I just mentioned, and in their employment practices shall not discriminate against any person or persons on the basis of those same things. So fair housing is a big part 
of what we do. It's a big part of being housing providers. It's a big part of just being a decent human being. Um, you know, immutable characteristics, people's religion, creed, etc., should not be any. Uh, they should not be any uh, obstacle to a person's ability to obtain housing. So we have to impart this on our people. We have to tell the agents that are new in the business and the ones that are old in the business, because let's be honest, most of the complaints that we see at the Board of Realtors come from older agents. Oh, let me, let me rephrase that. Experienced agents who have gotten lazy and have decided to relax their standards. We have to have high standards all the time. So I'm off my soapbox. <coughs> I'm done preaching. Uh, but I hope you learned something because, you know, I didn't really understand the grievance process. Um, it's important as a realtor member that you understand the process, that you understand that the grievance committee process is afforded to you as a realtor. Um, you need to um, familiarize yourself on a regular basis with the Code of Ethics. We at our office, the brokerage real estate firm, have on our um, website a link to the code of ethics because we want people to be able to, without having to really search for it, see what it is. We also have a link to fair housing uh, because again, people should see it right there available. No problem. It's on our application website. It's all over. Um, you know, agents, there's no reason for you not to provide a copy of the code of ethics to your clients. Hey, you know what? This is what makes me different as a realtor. Just so you know, here are the 17 articles that we abide by as realtors with the Code of Ethics. It's impactful. It's impactful when you can provide somebody with something that shows them not only that you are a good person because that's just who you are, but that you're also held to a standard by your peers. So, I'm done. I'm off my soapbox. It's been 40 some odd minutes, 49 minutes and 40 seconds so far, 42, 43, 44 of me yammering on about the code of ethics. I just am so passionate about it. I hope you learned something. If this is something that you enjoyed, please subscribe to the podcast, Agent to Agent Remarks. Uh, I am broker Jeff Lavelle of the brokerage real estate firm. Uh, and I really appreciate your time. If you are a new realtor, if you are an experienced realtor, if you're a member of the public, Leave me some comments. Leave me some feedback. I always like to know what you'd like to hear about. Um, sometimes I'm sitting here going, what the hell do I talk about now? Uh, so if you've got anything you want to hear about, I'll do my research. I'll give you my opinion on it. We'll talk about it. Um, I'm always also looking to meet with other professionals in the industry. doesn't matter where you are. I can remote in. We can do a face-to-face -face on this uh, wonderful platform I'm on. Uh, I can record you. We can talk. We can share. And uh, it's, it's a great, uh, great thing to be able to, to, to sit down with people uh, with like minds, talk about things, work on best strategies and, uh, and how to overall improve our industry. So hopefully you have a great day. Thank you for watching. And uh, as always, I'm never too busy for you or your referrals. Be kind to each other. Have a great day. I'll talk to you later. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe, rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll be back soon with another informative episode.